Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. GM Sandy Alderson just broke some big news on a conference call moments ago. The Mets are going to call up Ahmed Rosario and he'll make his big league debut tomorrow in Colorado. So with that, who better to talk to than the man himself? Sandy Alderson. Sandy, thank you so much for joining us. Happy to be here, guys. Thrilled to have you. So Sandy, why was this the time for Rosario's promotion? I think there were a couple of prime reasons. Uh, one was that um, you know we wanted to get through the trade deadline and see uh, how our roster shaped up after that time. And, um, and then secondly, um, as we got into August and September, you know, give Ahmed uh, a little playing time beyond just a September call-up. So uh, really for the last uh, several weeks, we had had our eye on August 1 as a possible uh, call-up date. Uh, what I've said in the past is that um, you know a promotion is a combination of both uh, how a player is performing as well as um, the circumstances at the major league level. And in our case, uh, although it doesn't appear to have a great connection, uh, the fact that we moved Lucas Duda gave us a little more flexibility in the infield uh, that allows uh, uh, Neil Walker and some others to play there. So I think we've and we've moved some uh, other middle infielders around with Cabrera playing third, and I think uh, Jose maybe moving to second for some uh, work as well. So it gave us a little chance to get everybody uh, uh, repositioned and uh, also through the trade deadline. It's another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here on this Monday, July the 31st. Hope everybody's doing well. Special trade deadline edition of the podcast. Of course, you can check out the show all the time at MetsMorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. 
And you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. In just a couple of minutes, we'll have our buddy from 98.7 ESPN at Catino9 on Twitter. Rich Catino will be joining us as we evaluate and take a look back at the last few days. Mets uh, sending Lucas Duda off to Tampa Bay. Addison Reed to Boston. You know, what could come next with the waiver deadline period? The white flag has officially been waived. There's no more, uh, well, maybes. And if they get back into the race, the Mets are looking towards 2018, which is sad and bothersome on, on many levels. And I tweeted out an interesting stat. And I don't know if you guys really take much stock in some of this stuff because, uh, you know, it's it's fun mental bubble gum. But there's the Pythagorean uh, record that each team has. It's simply, you take the w- runs scored minus the runs given up, and you come up with what the expected or what the won and lost record should be for a team based on that. And you know, There's a calculator you could get online if you want to do that. So I simply did the other day, uh, took the amount of runs scored that the Mets have scored this year, which is somewhere out there in that time was about 480, 490 runs scored, and Mets on average the last couple of years have given up about 350 runs around you know this time and uh, ironically enough the team's record would have been if they had if the pitching had performed as it had the last couple of years the team's record would have been 65 and 35 based on the offense this year and that's with Cespedes being out a large chunk of you know this the first half you know about a month. Obviously, Conforto uh, playing well, Bruce playing well, no Neil Walker, uh, you know, the, Cabrera not having the year that he had last year, Darno not exactly stepping up. So with all that's gone on, with all the issues that you can, you know, point to, if this pitching staff, which is the bedrock of this team, had performed anywhere close, and you don't, you don't even want it to perform as it did the year prior in 2015 when they went to the World Series, but if it had performed anywhere near close, it would be a far different conversation. Now, do I think they'd really be 65 and 35? I don't know. That's that's Houston Astros level type of performance. But if you go back to 2015, I mean, with guys like Jonathan Neist and, and, and Dylan G, guys that wound up being replaced in the rotation, who didn't really have great years, Mets pitching was better. And it's just, it's just collapsed right flat on their face. The bullpen has been a major issue. And over the last couple of days, it looks like that the Mets have, uh, you know, given you kind of the playbook of how they're going to fix that. Young, hard-throwing relievers, E.J. Ramos, which was a very surprising mood, uh, move, uh, essentially replaced a, uh, Addison Reed. Uh, so that's a, a one-to-one. Not sure how I feel about that because, I mean, look, it had to be done. Uh, Reed is a free agent, but uh, Ramos, to me, uh, you know, the walk rate is a little bit high. I know he still misses a lot of bats, uh, has some experience closing, but that's in, in Miami. Big difference here. Uh, he'll be asked to get the eighth inning here. Addison Reed did an outstanding job. You cannot get a much better August waiver deadline pickup than Sandy Alderson did. Unfortunately, I think he did better after the 2015 World Series. He was good that final month into the playoffs, but... The Mets went to Tyler Clippert a little bit more. I think if, if Reed had been a little bit more established and there was a little bit more trust, it would have been interesting how that would have set up uh, the postseason in 2015, whereas uh, Terry Collins went to Tyler Clippert and, you know, game four and, and away you go. So 
Anyway, um, you know, Drew Smith, uh, three young arms from the uh, Boston Red Sox heading over here. Uh, you know, none of the arms that the, the Mets got from the Red Sox are, you know, top 10 prospect worthy. But interesting, nonetheless, uh, you know, when Rich comes on in a couple of minutes, you'll see he's uh, very bullish on one. Uh, and let me get those uh, those names out here so that we have, uh, you know, everything out there. The one that uh, Rich is uh, bullish on is Gerson Bautista. Uh, Jamie Callahan, you'll, you'll probably see, or some feel, Mike Puma, the New York Post feel, we'll see sometime in September. And uh, Steven Nogosik, who actually, uh, one of the prospect lists for the Red Sox, I was scouring through a few of these prospect lists, had him as one of the you know the better sliders in the organization. You know how the how Dan Worthen, uh, you know, uh, really favors that pitch and, and favors those pitches that can uh, that can master those pitches. So, you know, I guess we'll we'll hear more about the Worth and Slider. But anyway, um let's take a quick break. When we return, Rich Catino, ESPN uh, ninety eight seven. Let's hear what he thought about the Mets Hall for Lucas Duda and Addison Reed. You know, maybe get a little reflective. It is a little sad because it's a, an end of an era. Not totally closing the door on the era, but you're starting to see pieces of the twenty fifteen pennant winning team head off and, and, and go off to I guess for them at this point, greener pastures, and there's always some sentimentality with that. So anyway, let's take a quick break. When we return, Rich Catino, of course, uh, you're always checking out the Talking Mets podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Mike Silva, on uh, MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes. Please leave me a review if you have a moment. SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. We'll be back uh, with Rich Catino of 9870 SPN right after this. Trading Addison Reed, who's been really good for you, to the Red Sox for three pitching prospects in Bautista, in, in Steven Nagosik, and also for Jamie Callahan. What was the market for Addison Reed, and are you happy with the three 22-year-olds that you got back? Well, the market was, uh, you know, up and down. Um, you know, I've been commenting uh, to others that, uh, you know, several years ago at this time we traded uh, – Carlos Beltran to uh, San Francisco for really their top prospect in uh, Zach Wheeler. That's really not happening these days with respect to uh, trade deadlines, unless you're talking about a significant, you know, starting pitcher, for example. Very few position players were traded, so the market was uh, a little difficult to figure out. But uh, you know, we stuck with it. There were lots of teams that were interested, but only a handful that uh, really engaged with us. And, uh, you know, over the last 24 hours, it became clear that, uh, you know, he may end up with the Red Sox. And um, so we're happy with the, the three players that we got. They're all uh, big arm power right-handers, uh, one at um, AAA, the other two from the Red Sox at single A. And when we put them together with uh, Drew Smith, who's now at AA, we really think that we've replenished uh, uh, the pitching side of our development system and that we have a number of candidates for the bullpen for next year. We're back and joining me, friend of the show, uh, Mets beat reporter for 9870 SPN. Uh, you can check him out on Twitter at Catino9. Everybody knows Rich Catino, also author of the book uh, Press Box Revolution, also has some exciting New things coming up in the next month or so. Rich, uh, pleasure to have you on. Obviously not the trading deadline we had hoped for, but an interesting trading deadline nonetheless. I think you would agree. 
I would agree. I think um, Sandy did what he had to do the past few days and probably did even a little more than I thought he would do by getting A.J. Ramos. Um, I think there will be other moves in the month of August, but I think uh, Reed was never going to clear waivers after August, into August. And I think the Mets got a pretty good package for him. And, look, all you're hoping with these three pitchers is that one of them becomes a big part of your team. Um, and I think all three of them have the capability of doing that. Whether they'll do it or not remains to be seen. Of course, uh, you're referencing the three young, looks like bullpen arms they're getting from the Red Sox. Uh, also a, a nice young arm they got for Lucas Duda from the Rays. And the theme seems to be, and I know you were on a conference call with Sandy Alderson, hard-throwing, young, I guess bullpen arms is what they felt they could get for both Duda and Reed, and, and who knows what they, they could potentially get after the, the waiver deadline here for Cabrera and, 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 and maybe Jay Bruce, maybe Neil Walker. But it seems like the Mets are, are were, were hell-bent on bringing in some, some velocity, and that's what they really like to see coming out of that bullpen because right now there's not a lot of swings and misses coming out of the Mets bullpen uh, at all this year. There isn't, and I think that kind of fits in A.J. Ramos as well because although Ramos is a 98, 99-mile-an-hour thrower, he does throw in the mid-90s, but he has a pitch that really has kind of gotten lost in the shuffle in baseball. He has a splitter, and that's just another different look that you can give you know, potential opponents late in the game. So I think the Mets are looking for some variety in that bullpen. I think – they're not done in that bullpen. And listen, you don't even know if any of these four guys are going to be in the bullpen next year. You certainly hope maybe one or two of them might come up in September, particularly the ones that are in AAA. So I think, you know, obviously they're trying to formulate stuff. But this is what I've been saying for the last two or three weeks. Um, the Mets are not in a rebuild. There isn't a, it isn't necessary to take a total scrap down and build. There's still a core of players that I firmly believe in on this team, but I do think that guys that are leaving this team that you're either not going to sign for free agency or going to opt for other contracts with other teams, you definitely needed to get something for them, and that's what he did in this deadline. And I think um, it's hard for Met fans, and I know it is, because you're living in the same town with a, a team that did a similar thing, and you thought at least you'd have a couple of years of rebuilding watching the Yankees, but They've had a good season, and they and they became buyers, big-time buyers of the deadline. And I know that's hard for Met fans to take, but you have to take a step back and realize that there's still a core of really good pitchers on this team, and they're pitchers that I believe in, and I hopefully Met fans believe in them as well. And one of the arms that they received from the Red Sox, Gerson Bautista, uh, I saw you on Twitter, and if you aren't following Rich, you should be at Catino9. You've heard that it, that might be a uh, a potential sleeper in the deal. I know that none of these are ranked top 10 in the Sox farm system, but you seemed a little bullish on Batista uh, out of all the arms that they required. Mike, it's just things I've heard about Batista, and it's not even so much his velocity as the late movement on his pitches and where he puts the pitches in the strike zone. Now, he doesn't have consistent command yet, and that's something that you know you work on in a minor league system, but – of the three, that's the one that I've resoundingly heard from scouts, that he could be the one that really helps the Mets out long-term. Um, and he may be the one that is last to get to the major leagues, but he has a tremendous repertoire of pitches, and it's just a matter of getting the command of those pitches down. And I think that the, you know, the Mets' farm system will work very hard with him and diligently with him on that. 
And I look for Batista to be on this team by 2019 and, and helping the Mets by that season. One of the other things that it looked like came out of the conference call with Sandy Alderson is that Michael Conforto as a center fielder may actually be something that's somewhat permanent. Uh, Jay Bruce is having a great year. Uh, the market for power hitting lefties, ironically, two years ago, Rich, everybody was like, you got to have power hitting. And if you have a power hitting player, it's at a premium because home runs were down. Now home runs are all over the place. Everybody's hitting home runs again. Uh, they're hitting them like it's the 1990s again. So someone like Jay Bruce is not garnering as much interest. Uh, it sounded like the possibility of Bruce coming back next year, Conforto moving to center, maybe Ligaris caddying as a defensive replacement, and then Cespedes in left is not a crazy idea. I think Conforto's a decent center fielder compared to what I expected. Not the position I would prefer to see him at, but uh, I guess if you need some offense, bringing back Jay Bruce is not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, and and I think you have to remember too that like if you lose Jay Bruce, and to me, there's really only two core bats left in that lineup if you lose Jay Bruce, and and that's Joanna Cespedes and Michael Conforto, and you know you may say, well, you got Dominic Smith, you got Amanda Rosario, that's too much to put on a young player to automatically say he's a core bat in your lineup. Um, I so I think that if you get Bruce. You definitely have that third bat, and you know my theory on, on I'm old school when it comes, I'm not as sabermetric as most people are, but I think if you have four guys in your lineup with 90-plus RBIs, you're going to win baseball games even with an average pitching staff. And right now, you know, Cespedes will be fine next year. He just had a bad year, and a bad year in so many ways, but I still think he's a core bat. I obviously think Jay Bruce and Michael Conforto are, and then you could talk about maybe spending a little money to get maybe a third baseman that can hit the ball and have that fourth bat. Um, maybe you take that money and you, you redistribute it somewhere else. Maybe you don't pay a lot to your second baseman. You pay your third baseman a lot. Um, maybe Jose Reyes is someone you look at to be a second baseman next year at a very small salary or utility guy to help Rosario with what he's going to go through in his first year as a major league player. So I think that Jay Bruce coming back – would give the Mets a lot of stability. And look, you offer him a qualifying offer. If he takes it, fine. If you don't, if he doesn't take it, then maybe you start to talk to him about, you know, what, what can we talk about? Maybe three years, $59 million? Let's start with that. I, I don't want to give him a fourth year. I prefer not to give that fourth year. But I would give Jay Bruce a three-year contract and obviously would prefer the qualifying offer. But I would give him a contract in which – he can say he's almost making $20 million a year for the next three years as your right fielder because I think he's worth that with his 90 RBI potential that you see all over his baseball card almost every season he's been. I think sometimes, Mike, we get provincial in New York, and we don't realize that Jay Bruce, before he got here, was a core bat on a Cincinnati Red team that made the playoffs three straight years. And That's I think a great that, point. You know, I didn't think he was very good, Rich. I didn't think he was all that great. I mean, look, the numbers are always good but you saw a lot of strikeouts. You know, you didn't play a lot against the Mets. Uh, he's a lot better than I expected, and he, and he, and he has the moxie. Uh, if you remember in spring training, he was like, look, I don't care about last year. I don't care what – you know, I remember him saying, I think it was to Newsday, all due respect, the fans don't impact me. And he embraced this challenge right. when he could have shriveled, and everybody was comparing him to Jason Bay, so he showed me a lot. Hopefully it's not one of those walkier things, but he showed me a lot. I got to agree with you, Rich. So I think that, you know, 
knowing Sandy as well as I do and kind of reading between the lines, if if he didn't think he 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 could wanted a Jay Bruce, I don't think he would have even said the Conforto thing. He would have said, well, you know, next year's a long way off. We have a lot of things we have to see. But he was pretty clear about how he felt about Conforto as a possible center fielder. And, and, and you know, Sandy's the kind of person that calculates his, his words and prepares for these press conferences pretty well, even with his humor. He understands when to use it, when not to use it. And I honestly think that, that he's seriously considering having an outfield of Cespedes, Conforto, and Bruce next year. And your fourth outfielder being Juan Lagares, and it's, he wouldn't just be a caddy. Like, I'd play him against tough lefties when I'm going to sit, you know, Conforto or Bruce. And you know that you're not going to go to a 100% injury-free season with those three outfielders. So I think that, you know, uh, him as a fourth outfielder, and he's kind of under team control with a long-term contract, Lagares, as luck would have it. So... I think you, I think you, uh, you look at the outfield that way, and that's the way I would look at it if I was Sandy. I would, I give Bruce a contract, and I would put Conforto in center, and uh, I think Conforto could be not only an average center fielder but an above average center fielder. He has great first step in getting a ball, and you know I think that's a center fielder has to, or a player that's played the corner positions, Mike. When they play center, the first thing they have to realize is the ball hit right at you is the hardest ball to field. And I've seen him feel that ball, and I've seen him make good plays on that ball. So I'm feeling good about him in center field, and I have a feeling Sandy feels the same way. Obviously, you're probably as excited as everybody else that Ahmed Rosario's finally been called up. Dominic Smith should be a little bit behind him. I know Smith has been hot of late. When I had talked to Russ Langer, the Vegas 51's play-by-play guy, the sense I got from him is that Rosario was ready Tim Tuffle said as much. He felt he was maybe a little bit bored at AAA. Dominic Smith, I thought, Russ, and this is going back a couple of months, was a little less convinced of. You know, maybe some of the numbers were against players that you won't see at the next level. But you've got to be excited. And, you know, in a lost season, uh, you have something to play for here. And who knows? You know, the Mets could still play for 500. That's not what you want. And these kids could maybe, you know, be a part of that. You want to have a a winning environment no matter what, in my opinion. You don't want to just tank and lose for draft picks and stuff like that. To me, that doesn't make any sense. The best way I can describe Dominic Smith, and I know the Mets are saying that, you know, that they think the power will come, and you have to always look at what, what you're – you have to look through a, a proper microscope when you get numbers, offensive numbers from Vegas in that league. But I think he's going to be a, a better version of a James Loney. That's the way I look at Dominic Smith. Outstanding defensively at first. I think he'll use the whole field, the left field line or the right field line to hit. I think he'll be a run producer. I don't know if he's going to be a 20, 30 home run guy, but I think he's going to be a 90 RBI guy down, you know, later in his career here. So I think he's a better um, version of James Loney. And, and we got to remember what James Loney was being projected to be when he first came up in the major leagues, James Loney, and I talk to Terry Collins about this all the time because he knows him well, James Loney was supposed to be this 30, 100 RBI guy, and and he had a couple of seasons where he had high in RBIs, but people were upset he wasn't hitting the home runs. To me, it's about producing runs. It could be a home run. It could be just a lot of hits. Look, Keith Hernandez was on a home run hitter, and he had close to 100 RBIs every year. So if you're that kind of hitter, you're going to drive in runs, and I think – the other part of it is that you want to put him around people in the lineup, Dominic Smith, that will give him a little protection. And I think that's another reason why you want Jay Bruce back. You have Conforto. You have, 
Bruce, you have Cespedes in that lineup. You could definitely give Dominic Smith the protection that he needs in the lineup, and, and there's a lot of different ways you can do that. So I'm excited about Dominic Smith. I'm very excited about Ahmed Rosario. Obviously, he's the top prospect by many, viewed by many in all of baseball. But um, I want to be careful that you don't put too much on these kids when they come up. Just tell them, look, Ahmed Rosario, you're going to get some hits. They'll come. We really want you to concentrate on fielding your position, learning the hitters, working with, you know, the second baseman and turning the double plays the way the way we the way it's going to be best for the team. And knowing Ahmed Rosario, he will definitely do that. And I think Jose Reyes is going to play an important role in this because they obviously are very close. And Jose sends out on his Twitter right away that he's excited that Ahmed Rosario is coming up. And let's face it, it's a guy that's going to take playing time away from Jose Reyes. But I think Jose Reyes in his life has learned that, you know, you have to take a look at what you've been given in your life and try to give back a little bit where you can. And I think Jose is viewing this whole relationship with Rosario in that light, that he's been very fortunate, Jose, and that he had people when he came up that kind of helped him through things, including David Wright, including all the veteran players that were in the mid-90s, the, the, that 2016, whether it would be Beltran or Pedro or, or Delgado or anyone that helped him. And I think Jose wants to give back to Med Rosario now. And I think it's a great thing to see, and I think that's one of the reasons why I think the Mets will find a way to have Jose Reyes on this roster in some way next year. Even if he's strictly a utility player that doesn't play a lot of games, I think that they know Ahmed Rosario is going to need that, you know, base that he can go to every day and, and talk about what he's going through as a major league player. And who knows, you want to have some somebody who can play every day if uh, Rosario uh, flops. I mean, that, that could happen. Uh, Rich Catino, 98.7 ESPN. A uh, couple of quick ones before we let you go. Uh, who do you expect to go in uh, August? Walker, Cabrera? I think Cabrera is almost a given. Do you think they could get anything for those guys? Uh, it sounds like Bruce might be around. Never say never if the right deal comes up. Uh, what do you expect to see with the remaining vets on this team in August with the waiver deadline period? Well, when you look at the deadline in August, you have to, uh, there's a couple of things. Teams can block other teams, and I think the Cubs are going to be in an interesting position because – uh, and this is, that doesn't pertain to the Mets too much, but it's just a concept I want to throw out to your listeners. Um, what ends up happening in situations like this is, you know, right now the Nationals and Dodgers have a far better record than, than, the, um, than the Cubs, okay? So let's say the Cubs don't want the Nationals or the Marlins to get somebody. They might block that waiver move. So let's, and I know neither the Dodgers or the Nationals are probably looking for another bat, but it's just a concept that as a fan you have to realize that it's a game in a lot of ways, and, and teams are going to you know, block certain players. I think that's why we saw all the relief pitchers go today, because those players are absolute blocks. Um, like, for example, if Brad Hand is put on the waiver wire, I don't think he'll ever get past like, any, any of the teams that are in the playoff hunt, because I think there are teams that are not in the playoff hunt that would want Brad Hand. Relief pitching becomes such a big deal at the trading deadline. Um, I think Cabrera will go sometime in August. I don't know how much the Mets will get for him because at this point you're probably going to just say to teams, okay, give me a prospect, I'll pick up the salary, or you pick up the salary, and you just give me a no-name prospect. And think about this for a minute. If you can save a couple of million here, a couple of million there, that's something that you may be able to put in your overall budget for next season. Um, I think Grandison will find a spot, and Cabrera I don't think Bruce would clear waivers even if the Mets deal him, and I think the Mets have other ideas for Jay Bruce. So 
I'm looking at Cabrera and Granderson as pretty definite that will go sometime in August. Neil Walker's the X factor because I don't think anyone's going to take Neil Walker until they can until it shows that he's on steady feet. And I don't think offensively he's looked that bad, but defensively he's looked awful and brutal. Almost like he's on a pogo stick when he's out there in the infield. So I think teams have to see that first before the Mets will get any kind of an offer for Neil Walker. And I don't expect him to be back here next year at second base for the Mets. I just think that time has passed, and I think the Mets are going to move on and go to a different second baseman. But I think that, you know, he could be traded in sometime in mid-August if it's proven that his, you know, both his back and his hamstring look 100%. And to me, Mike, it doesn't look 100% right now. Rich, uh, read Kevin Kernan's column, uh, Terry Collins, uh, you know, being reflective, thinking of what could have been uh, during this run with these young pitchers. It sounded like a guy that may be realizing that his time is, you know, going into the sunset. I mean, look, you and I have talked about on Twitter. I think Terry's done, uh, you know, some really good things. I think he's done a lot of bad things. I think he's mismanaged his team in a lot of ways. And I think the Mets could do better than Terry Collins as a manager. Uh, with that said, he's been here a while. Um, I think even this year, even with the injuries, they, they should have done better. They could have been at least in the, the peripheral of the race. Um, do you think this is it for Terry Collins? And, uh, you know, if so, I guess, uh, you know, he'll go out um, with unfulfilled potential in the sense where it never really came together. They did get to the World Series. It never came together. He even said so the way I guess he envisioned it back in 2014, 2015. It, it, you know, it's funny because there's so many little things in this sport that can dictate what you're viewed as. Um, you know, if if two plays are made in that World Series, maybe Terry Collins is going up Canyons of Heroes, you know. And I'm, I'm referring to not even game one where Familiar blew the save. I'm referring to the Lucas Duda play in game five, and I'm also referring to the Daniel Murphy play in game four, which I don't totally blame on Murphy. That inning I blame on Tyler Clippard walking back-to-back guys, which you just can't do if you're trying to get a win in the late innings of a World Series game. And if those two things went a little differently, who knows how it would have been. And even if you just take the do-to-play, if the do-to-play goes differently, all of a sudden this series is three games to two, and the Mets have, have you know DeGrom and Syndergaard lined up for games six and seven. I don't care where the games are. Those are going to be tough games for the Royals to win. So, Listen, it didn't work out that way, but I will say this about Terry. Terry has his faults. There's no doubt about it. I think he'd be the first to admit it. But I do think that overall he's had a very positive impact on this organization. I think a lot of managers have walked through these doors. Very few have won pennants. He's one of those that's won a pennant. That can't be taken away from him. That's irreversible. And I think that he has helped um, younger players deal with the realities of what being a major league player are. Do not um, do not underestimate what he has done for Michael Conforto. Do not underestimate what he's done for some other players. I think he's missed it on some players too. There's no doubt about it. But I would like to see him back next year. But I also think Terry's at an age where, you know, and, and this kind of comes full circle for me because my dad's at the age of 90 and suffering from dementia. And you want to enjoy your family when you can and Terry's accomplished a lot. And, and I have a feeling that if he really wanted to be back next year, I think the Mets would have him back. But I think in the back of his mind, he feels like he's accomplished it. And he's accomplished one main thing he wanted to do when he came here, Mike. He kind of 
eradicated the bad feelings people had about him as a manager in previous places because he had the power to change. I don't know about you, but I'm around people his age a lot, and generally they don't have the power to change. <laughs> generally what you see is what very you get. Fair. Terry, yeah, Terry very changed, and he became a, a player's manager and really someone that you know I call up on the phone and, and talk, and I'll even say to Terry, I think you made a mistake on this, and, he, and he'll even say to me sometimes, oh, you might be right. I don't know if he really believes I'm right, but he makes people feel comfortable being around him. Does he make mistakes? Does he, you know, listen, I don't think no, I don't think any manager has managed a bullpen correctly since Willie Randolph left in 2006. That's the last time I saw a Met bullpen run correctly. But running a bullpen's a tough thing to do, and you know, I think it's one of the things that very few managers do well. But I say to myself, now let me ask you a question, Mike. Dusty Baker, let's say the Nationals win the division, which they're likely going to do, and let's say they lose in the first round again. And let's say Dusty Nationals decide they want to do something else, not have Dusty Baker. Wouldn't you agree that you'd rather have that one year as a pennant than the consistent winning the divisions and losing in the first round? And no, it's unfair. Because that, that drives me crazy. What drives me crazy with this deadline, it's almost like fantasy baseball, where you got people writing or tweeting and saying, well, you know, the Royals shouldn't buy because they don't have a chance to win. They're, they're in the wild card. Like, it's really – I'm yep. with you, Rich, on that. When you have a chance to win, you go for it. And, and if you win, you're right. You can never take – 2015 is special. Uh, it was unfulfilled, and it was almost a tease for a lot of Mets fans because you felt that everything was aligned, everything was there. And the World Series, that World Series hurt probably more than 2000, maybe more mm-hmm. than 2006 in some ways, in some ways. Um, but you can't take it away. It was a great run. That Dodgers series will go down as a Mets classic. The Cubs thrashing will always be special. Um, you can't take that away. And they went for it. Michael Fulmer now could be at the top of this rotation. But they went for it. So I agree with you. And everybody, yeah. it's become like fantasy baseball now where, you know, the trades have become like with Jaime Garcia going, you know, from one team to one team to another team in a matter of a week. I guess things have changed, and I'm not really, you know – I'm not one who gets caught up in that stuff, but you could really see the mindsets change to the point where teams in the playoffs, you got fans saying, well, you know, sell and get assets and prospects. It's not about organizational awards. It, it drives me crazy. You're right. When you win, you know, there's nothing better, uh, regardless of what somebody thinks about the team, the GM, the manager, what have you. And, and I know, and, and the other thing about it is that I look at when you build a team, did you build a team for your run? And what you hope is that you can get to the World Series twice in that five-year run and one time win it. Well, the Mets are in the middle of a five-year run. They got to the pennant. They even got to the playoffs the following year, lost a wild-card game. And this is the down year. And, and you look around, you look around, you know, baseball, it, there's a history. When you have five-year runs, you're going to have sometimes where things just aren't going to go right. I, I think they definitely have to make some changes. I think they definitely have to make some additions and trades. But this notion by the Met beat writers that it has to be scrapped down and totally ripped apart, um, I just, I guess in their homes, they would never try to fix their homes. They would just move to another home when there was a little crack in the ceiling every time. And I think right. you, try to, you, try to, <laughs> you try to make the home better, and will it ever be a perfect home again? No, probably not. But that's assuming you can't be happy and elated to be in the home and around your family in the home and proud of it. And I think part of it is that, you know, there is a hatred for the Wilpons in the media. I don't think there's any question about it. I wrote about it in my book, and, 
And, you know, I'm not saying the Wilpons always do everything right. Far from it. The way they fired Willie Randolph was abominable um, and disgraceful. But when I look at what went on with the Madoff scandal, and then five years later, the Mets are in the World Series, to me that's a success story that was so underreported by the media in this town. Probably the most underreported thing in my 30 years in the media of ever covering. And I always say to myself, if the team across the river gets to the playoffs this year, and let's say the Yankees get to the championship series and lose, you're going to hear bouquets flying all over the place for Brian Cashman, and he should be getting them because he's done a good job in retooling the team. But there's an unfairness in that. There's always this notion that when the Mets are successful, they did it despite Wilpon. The Wilpons had a $150 million payroll this year. That is more than representative to win in this sport. The problem was not the Wilpons spending money or lack of spending money. And I think it's because they're in the town with the Yankees, they're always compared to like not spending enough because the Yankees are always spending more. But that doesn't mean what they're spending isn't enough to win. And the Wilpons get a bad rap for it. And I think it's, I think it's just, you know, the narrative has to get changed because people don't like the Wilpons. And I've been around them since you know, early in my career. They're the only Met owners I've ever covered, going back to 1984 when I first started in this town. And the Mets have been in the World Series in 86, playoffs in 88. They had a long drought. Then they were in the playoffs in 2006. Then they were in the playoffs oh, in 99 and 2000. Let's not forget that. And 2015, that's not top of the line in the sport, but it's not bottom of the line either. And I think that... Sometimes we lose that with it, and I think it's because of the hatred of the Wilpons, and I think it's a very, very unobjective way to report on the Met organization. And I feel I wrote about that in my book, and I feel that 100% right now on with you because I know I can talk honestly and open with you about this stuff, Mike, because you listen and, and you know, you, don't, you have your own opinions, but you don't ever castigate others' opinions. So I think that um, some that has to be said. The Wilpons aren't as bad owners as you think they are, and uh, and they have the playoff appearances to prove it. They, it's not like they're the uh, you know, it's not like they're the Cincinnati Bengals that you know have never won anything on any level. And I think that you know that's the thing that infuriates me about the way the Wilpons are covered. Not very very fair. All right, well, Rich, you got Press Box Revolution. You've been uh, obviously that book came out in the spring, and you've been talking about that. And you have a new radio show coming up. I know you're on ninety eight seven. Local, uh, I know the uh, the station over here on Long Island, and uh, excited. I guess in September you're going to be talking not just baseball, but all of New York sports. Uh, why don't you let everybody know about that and start to tease it so that uh, when the time comes, they'll be they'll be well prepared to listen to Rich Catino on another outlet. New York Sports Wrap, it's going to be called. It's in mid-September. It's going to be on Sunday nights. We're now going to have a three-hour sports block. My uh, block's going to be from 8.30 to 10, immediately following Mark Rosenman's block from uh, 7 to 8.30. And we're going to talk about all kinds of sports. In fact, one of the things we're doing on the show is I'm going to probably host it by myself for a little bit, but then we might bring in guest co-hosts from around. And they're not going to be your typical big media people. I don't know. Mike Silver, you might be on that list to do a show with me. So Anytime, man. I w- I'd love to go. I mean, anything. You know, I miss talking. I love talking baseball, and it's, and it's a lot easier to promote, but I miss sometimes talking about the Knicks and some other things since my uh, Long Island ESPN radio days. It's been a few years. But, you know, niche, we're talking- you know, and you wrote about this, you know, in, in Press Box Revolution, it's, it's easier to market yourself when you're focused on one sport. But there's so many other things to talk about that, 
that you miss a little bit. It really is. In this town, are the Jets going to tank the season or the Giants going to get to the playoffs and what's going to happen with Carmelo? Those are just ones that just kind of flare me in the head right away. But um, we're talking to some people to get some interesting guest hosts. I've, I've reached out to people like Matt Cerrone and others. And I want people to – we all know what the main media people, what they think. But I want to know what the bloggers think. And I want my listeners to know what the bloggers think because, let's face it, there's a reason I'm in this business, and that's because of people who are fans and have the sports in their heart and soul follow me. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a need for me to even be in this business. So I want the show to be – we'll have some celebrities on there. We'll have some people you know, talking about stuff. We're also going to take a lot more phone calls than Mark's show does. I know Mark doesn't take too many phone calls. He tends to you know, have more guests, and we'll have some guests, but – I want to really hear the wrath of people on a Sunday night after the NFL. I think that's going to make the show quite interesting. And while you have me on the line, I also have finished a contract to write a second book, which will come out in March of 2019, and it will be about the 50th anniversary of the Miracle Mets of 69. And I know there's going to be a lot of books about that coming out in 2019, but mine's going to be a little different because we're certainly going to go through the historical significance of the Miracle Mets. We're certainly going to do that. But I'm going to talk about how it looked from the nine-year-old eyes of myself growing up in New York and living through it. And also, one of the things I want to do is kind of let Mets fans know. I think most Mets fans know because their grandparents told them and their parents how great Tom Seaver was and why he was the franchise. But I want this book to really take a good look on Gil Hodges and how important he was to what making the Mets taking over when they were laughing stock and ending up in, on the steps of City Hall with a world championship banner. And Seaver was great, and Kuzma was great, and Cleon, and Agee, and Clendenin, and all those players, but it never would have happened if, if Gil Hodges wasn't there. And if people don't believe that, they'll hear the words from Tom Seaver in my book about what he thinks about Gil Hodges. And I just think it's going to be a great book for parents and grandparents to share with their children and grandchildren and say, this was the end of an era, 1969. The world was in, in desperate straits. Everyone was fighting with everyone in New York. Who wanted the war to end? Who didn't? Who, who liked Woodstock? Who didn't? But there were two things people could agree on in that summer. One is we're all going to watch Man Land on the Moon, and the other one is we're all going to watch the Mets. And I think the Mets helped make New York a little bit of a small town in September and October of 69. And I want fans to kind of relive that. And I want to take them through that journey because it, it was a fun journey for me as a nine-year-old, no question. Rich, looking forward to it. Looking forward to your new program. Uh, as always, we'll keep in touch. Uh, the season may have some meaningless games ahead, but I'm sure there'll be some news. And uh, be well. I'm You're sure always a good friend be. of the show. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, be, I'll be listening, all right? Be well, my friend. We'll talk soon. Keep up the great work, Mike. Take care. That's Rich Catino. Thanks, Rich. That's Rich Catino at Catino 9, 9870 ESPN, uh, doing a new radio show in September and a new book about the 69 Mets. Uh, just uh, If you have Twitter, follow at Catino 9. Good stuff, and the Mets could really use. Uh, if, if Terry Collins is not coming back, uh, they could really use a manager like Gil Hodges. I didn't watch. I wasn't alive for Gil Hodges, but from what I read, the disciplinarian, uh, the toughness, the – the, you know, pushing teams to reach expectations. That's the kind of manager that I, I typically support, admire, emulate, things of that nature. 
You know, I always tell you Pat Riley's like my ultimate coach if you want to talk about the, that, you know, in, in terms of the sports context. And, uh, you know, from what I've read about Gil Hodges, he's had a lot of those traits as well for a team that easily could have, you know, even with all those that great pitching could have packed it in and, uh, and called it a day when the Cubs were ahead. Anyway, uh, we'll wrap up right after this quick message and uh, give you some of my thoughts. Uh, Rich had a lot to say, a lot of interesting things. Uh, from his conference call with Sandy Alderson and some of his thoughts about the Mets and where they're going. So let's take a quick break. Final thoughts right after this. Hey, Mets fans, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. Really good stuff from Rich. Always enjoy the conversation with him. I, I told him the, earlier today. I said, "Hey, let's you know, give me ten minutes. So, you know, let's not belabor the point." And we wound up going on for about a half an hour. And uh, very excited to hear his new uh, radio show coming up in September. And uh, you know, a book on the '69 Mets. I know that probably some people would feel it would be ad nauseum that we've talked about the '69 Mets and certainly the '86 Mets. But you never know. It sounds like uh, Rich is gonna try to skin that cat a little bit differently and, and give a little bit different perspective. So we'll keep an eye on that. And uh, obviously throughout the process, check in with him and see how things are going. Uh, really the big takeaway, I think talking to Rich, uh, who was on the conference call post deadline with Sandy Alderson was that Michael Conforto might have a chance to play center field. And that is very interesting because I've been thinking a lot about that because Jay Bruce to me has been a big surprise. Did not expect him. I mean, to me coming in, Jay Bruce was your prototypical seventh hitter in a good lineup, sort of like what Nick Swisher was with the Yankees back in 2009. You didn't want to put him in the middle of the lineup. Uh, he, if he was, it was, was pretty much with a bad team, you know, a lot of swings and misses, but not a great defensive player. But he's come in. And what always, and I said that to Rich during the interview, what always impressed me about Bruce was that he never ran and hid. He really couldn't. I mean, he could have asked I me, mean, look, he could have went to Sandy Alderson in the offseason and said, look, this is not for me. This, this, this city's not for me. He got off to the bad start last year. But the last 10 days of 2016, he had a very nice run, helped him uh, garner that, that second wild card spot. Uh, you know, well, the first, he actually had home field advantage, so it was the first wild card. And he, and he, and he basically said in spring training, look, I'm, you know, all due respect to the fans, I'm not running away from New York. They don't have that ability to change my life like that. I'm going to go out and show you guys the kind of player I am, and it's possible to hit 35, 40 home runs, driving 100 runs, and certainly get, it sounds like, the qualifying offer, maybe have a chance to come back on a short-term deal. Uh, with the amount of power out there in the marketplace and the lack of interest in Bruce during the deadline, and we'll see. There could be changes, and a lot could change in the next three or four weeks with, with some of the contenders. 
Uh, it looks like the Mets are contemplating bringing him back, and that's not a terrible idea because, one, uh, Cespedes showed you that when Cespedes is not into it, when there's not that carrot at the end of the stick, whether it be for a contract or playing in, in meaningful games, Cespedes is not the same player. He also has to prove that this workout regime, uh, regiment, not regime, regiment uh, is something that he can uh, adjust from because uh, clearly he put on too much weight, too much bulk, and has had a negative impact. His entire game is not the same. He's not the same impact uh, power hitter that uh, the Mets saw the last couple of years and, and who they brought in to be the hub of their offense. So you need that guy. You need Bruce when Cespedes is off to possibly go in there and be that impact hub hitter, which he showed he can be. Uh, Conforto, am I crazy about him in center field? I prefer him in the corners. And you never know. Look, I know Cespedes has a no-trade clause, but you never know what could happen. I know our buddy John Delcos feels the Mets should have never brought uh, Cespedes back. I disagree with that. I think with that kind of power, that kind of impact, you need that kind of hitter. And, and you don't know with Dominic Smith and Ahmed Rosario how they're going to adjust to the big leagues. So um, you need as many proven impact hitters. You're going to be in the market probably for a third baseman. You're going to be in the market for a second baseman. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do with catcher. So when you think about it, Jay Bruce is probably, because he's proven it, the most logical bat to bring back that could give you 3,100 or that you could count on for above or significantly above league average offense. So that was one thing. The second thing, and I think we, we delved into that in the back half of the podcast, was how things have changed. And I hate to sound like that old fart, but I mean, it's almost like fantasy baseball now. I mean, teams, uh, because of the second wild card, the Twins go out and they get Jaime Garcia trying to prep for a, a run at a wild card spot. Uh, they go south in about seven to ten days. They flip Jaime Garcia to the Yankees. Yankees uh, solidify their rotation. And there will be some meaningful baseball games here in New York in the last eight weeks. Unfortunately, it won't be on this podcast or for you know the Mets. It'll be for the Yankees. who that Mets will actually see in a couple of weeks, and we will be – possibly doing yeah, you know I'll, I'll get into that a little bit in a couple of minutes uh you know some stuff with the subway series 20 year anniversary actually of the subway series so you know uh you got to go for it look i'll give the twins credit they the, and i even go back to the royals who are or in a wild card spot and really trying to make a run with their group one last time there were actually people saying well the royals aren't going to win it why are they going out investing in this club uh, there's no shot well you don't know that once you get into a tournament which is what the baseball postseason is. 100 wins, best record, all that stuff doesn't matter anymore. And what surprises me is you still have a lot of people who look at baseball and they look at it more as building organizations and organizational awards. And it's even like that in the NBA, collecting assets and not about winning. Collecting assets is not about winning. And when you have an opportunity to win, as you saw, and I'll say this, I'll say this a billion times. I don't care if you turn off the podcast, they might have heard it a billion times. When you have a chance to win, when you have a chance to do something special, uh, you can't regret that. Sure, Michael Fulmer right now would look really nice in the Mets rotation. And at that time, uh, you know, maybe the Mets should have pushed for a Zach Wheeler, which they tried to actually get Jay Bruce in 2015 uh, for Cespedes. But, you know, we weren't in those negotiations. We don't know if that was possible. Uh, Dave Dombrowski gave the Tigers uh, a very nice parting gift on the way out for Cespedes, who was a free agent. And the market was different. You know, the market was different. If it was this year and the Mets were looking for a power-hitting uh, outfielder, they might not have to give up as much. So every year the market is different. It's like buying a house. No two markets, no two years could be the same because uh, it's supply and demand. It's, there's a lot of synergies. And 
when you have a chance to win, you go for it. This isn't about fantasy baseball. This isn't about collecting assets. This isn't about winning organizational awards. It's about winning a championship. And when you have a chance at one of those precious playoff spots, even with the expanded wild card, you go for it. And that's the thing that I think has changed with the mindset with some of the fans and even writers where they're more about building organizations and collecting assets and tearing things down right away. Like Rich could not have given a better analogy. If your house has a little crack or the roof isn't really you know, performing the way you want to uh, you know, have it perform, you, get, you, know, you, you replace the roof, you patch it up. You don't blow the house up and build over as much as you'd love to. It's expensive. And it doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight, and that's exactly what building a contender uh, is all about. So the Mets reboot is official. Uh, we'll see what the rest of August brings. Real quick, we are going to do something with the uh, Subway Series. We'll do some kind of like fun podcast in the next 10 days or so. Um, if you're looking for the podcast every Sunday, I'm still going to keep it on Sunday, but uh, with what's going on, you know, deadline, you know, we may bleed into the week and, and, and try to do something more newsy, more relevant than just have a, a weekly podcast to kind of recap what's going on. Uh, because really right now, just like the Mets are, this podcast is playing out the string. So we've got to get creative. We've got to figure out what exactly it is that uh, you guys would like to hear. Uh, how can I bring something of value? Because, I'm again, like I keep telling you, and it's been tough over the last couple of weeks. It's really been tough providing you some content because what we're we going to talk about we know that the Mets are looking to trade Lucas Duda we know they were looking to trade Addison Reed we know that they're trying to trade Cabrera and Neil Walker and very well may still be maybe even Jay Bruce uh, but like today there was some real concrete newsy type things so uh, interesting stuff uh, uh, again uh, I guess um, you know you got to really like the hall to summarize what Sandy Alderson got for Duda uh, for Reed some some interesting arms power arms with upside can they pitch can the Mets teach them how to pitch? Can they get one or two of these guys to impact the bullpen next year or even maybe later this year? We'll see. It's great to throw hard. It's great to strike out 11, 12 batters per nine innings. A lot, All these guys, their walk rates are not stellar. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's going to be a matter of can they take that velocity and really hone it into being a pitcher. It's like the old Hansel Robles thing I say. It's great to throw hard, but if he can't pitch, it doesn't really mean a hell of a lot. So... Anyway, that, that, that's uh, where we're at. So we're out of time. Uh, appreciate everybody joining me uh, on this special edition Trade Deadline podcast. Of course, want to thank Rich Catino. Check out Rich on Twitter at Catino9 on, on 98.7 ESPN.com. Uh, send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. I'll uh, see you next week. Take care.